writers, agents, and publishers, for the first time since the Gutenberg Press, find themselves lost in a maze of mystery as technology alters the shape of the publishing industry. Searching for Answers is a group of writers throwing pop culture, writing, and publishing into a crucible of clarity, passion, and humor. This group is the right pack. Welcome back to Right Pack Radio. This is your host, David Allen Lucas, author of poetry, science fiction, mystery, horror, and usually combining all of the above. With me today is... Kathleen Cayembe. I write under the pen name Kaseka and Vita, and I read all the things. Uh, Jennifer Stolzer. I am a fantasy writer and illustrator. Matt McGraw. I'm an amateur short story writer, and I'm working on a book called Patrick the Spider with Jennifer. Um, Melanie Clinney, and I read quite a few series. So. And I think we've talked about this online before, but Matt calls himself an amateur writer because he hasn't had anything paid for in his publishing world. When I get paid, I'll go to professional. Okay. Emily Dickinson, then. <laughs> yes. Just saying. Just saying. Anyway, today we're not going to talk about what's an amateur writer. We're going to talk about observations of a serial reader. What, go, what as a reader, do we see that goes right in various series stories and what can go wrong? And with that, let us begin. With what? Let's what are some? What are some of your favorite series, and what are some of the series that you've loved but you wish could have done something better or should have ended beforehand? And this goes for reading, television, movies, radio plays, you name it. I'll think of something. Uh, Sherlock Holmes, great okay. series. The author got tired of writing Sherlock Holmes, and frankly, I think it shows in his last several stories. I think The Hound of the Baskervilles was probably, well, it went from being Sherlock Holmes as in the analytical detective to somebody that was a more, yeah, he solved it just because he was a detective and the deductions weren't nearly as important anymore, so... That was both, I guess. Yeah. And I think Ian Fleming ran... I don't know this for certain. This this just comes strictly from reading the original James Bond books. I think he ran into the same thing. In the book from Russia with Love, the book ends with James Bond dying. And he's resurrected in the next book. And there's a change in the series of how the character's treated. And actually, it ends up going deeper. I think it worked in the long run. Hmm. But that's something, if you are writing a series, one thing that Melanie's kind of pointed out inadvertently is you really have to love the characters you're writing about or was they get very old on you. That seems like a lovely problem to have. Your success forcing you to just write the same thing over and over. Well, except for there's a... I'm going to disagree. I've, I've been thinking about this and no, I don't have any series published so I really can't comment, uh, even though I do write series, but what if that lead that feeds into a psychology of, I don't think I can get anything else published. Mm-hmm. L- let's talk about author, author Conan Doyle. He wrote other stories. Uh, he wrote Lost World, not the one with the, di- well, they both had dinosaurs, but not the one that came off of Jurassic Park. This is one predates that one. And he wanted to write all that. His readers didn't want it. He, they wanted Sherlock Holmes, and you know where he ended up at. Uh, I think a good example of this is one of my favorite series, and one of many, uh, many a 
person in my generation's and other generations' favorite series would be Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. I loved Harry Potter. Uh, I loved how the individual stories within each book fed into an overarching general plot that resolved itself at the end of the seventh book. Uh, I really liked how the characters formed relationships and those relationships grew and changed depending on what happened to them. And uh, while there were there were stumbles along the way, and J.K., our dear friend Joe, would agree that she had some trouble writing a couple of books and she would like to go back and change some things. Um, she's also a good example of someone who's tried to write something outside of Harry Potter and was dragged back in because Harry Potter was her bread and butter and that's what people wanted to see from her because they were so used to it. Very much so. She wrote a mystery. I don't know how well... I heard it didn't do so well, but I don't know about okay, true or not. Okay, it didn't do well compared to Harry Potter. But for very first time, <laughs> yeah, for a first time author was actually doing okay. reasonably well. And she yeah. had published under a pen name yeah. to Try kind to of separate what? them. And frankly, somebody undermined her, yeah. Yeah, it was the editor. I mean, it was they they traced her through her editor. Oh. I, as if, I, if I'm remembering the story Actually, correctly. the person that took the fall was a lawyer's wife. Oh. But I don't know if that was the convenient scapegoat or if that was true. Speaking of scapegoats and truths, though, um, I wanted to know if there are things you guys particularly love in series, love to see or not to see. I was going to call them, what are your series kinks? But then I was like, people might not respond to that so well. Um, But yeah, what do you especially love seeing? What do you especially not? Here we go. I've got two series I can toss out there. All right. One and both, I do both. I love both series. One's not being written anymore mm-hmm. because the main, the author is dead, and the ones that picked up after him didn't do so well. Well, they, that's right, that's not quite true. It's just the series hasn't continued past there. And that's Earl Stanley Gardner. But despite what I just said, his characters are somewhat static. Okay, name the characters. The characters I'm talking about are Perry Mason, Della Street. And Paul Drake. Hmm. Now, in all honesty... Mason's a detective, though, isn't he? He's a, he's a lawyer detective. Hmm. He's a lawyer. Paul Drake is his main PI that he deals with. But yeah, in all honesty, Perry Mason acts more as a, as well, a detective, detective than a turd. Right. He starts off... Now this, despite what I just said, the character does change over the books. His first book... I mean, he plays it very hard-boiled detective type story, and even Della Street sits on his lap, which, if you've ever seen the TV shows that came later, you know that's not the case. Hmm. Um, though they do fall in love anyway. But really, Perry Mason remains a very static character, doesn't matter what book you pick up, and generally speaking, he hasn't changed. He's that firm, honest one. or firm, firm, strong character is always playing his game. <clears throat> Whereas another series I love, which is by David Weber completely changing genre here. This is space opera mm-hmm. is the Honor Harrington series. In Honor Harrington, a female starship commander ends up becoming Admiral. Sorry, spoiler alert. Gosh. But she goes through and faces a lot of her own pains, a lot of her own personal issues, as well as being caught up in <laughs> actually multiple wars um, and going through this entire series and evolving as a character. Well, I think um, that kind of goes to what kind of series you're reading. Mm-hmm. Like, what mm-hmm. what kind of series the author is aiming to write. 
because if you take something like um, Seinfeld on, on TV, everything resets at the end of an episode. Mm -hmm. Everything. Like, next week's episode may have nothing to do with what happened before. Like, whereas someone like um, in the Anita Blake series by Laurel K. Hamilton, what happens in previous books changes what happens afterward. Things matter. Things stick. Right. Well, like, uh, Star Trek was the hybrid of the two. Uh, for the actual TV part. Which Star Trek? Uh, any of them. Okay. Sometimes it happened between series matters, and sometimes, yeah, O'Brien's experienced 30 years as a prisoner, and then the next episode he was fine. So that was in Deep Space Nine. Part of that I wonder about. Yeah. Series, though. Multiple writers. Yeah. Um, it, I think pointing, that, pointing out that it's the type of a series that you're reading slash writing, um, a great example is detective things like for let's let's look at Nancy Drew. Uh -huh. Nancy Drew has been the exact same character almost with updates, variations uh, throughout several series and many different media and writers. And because like Sherlock Holmes, you're reading it hoping to see another crime that Nancy solves. You're not reading it really hoping to see how Nancy grows as a character. Because the interesting part of those books that you're expecting is the solving of the crime. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> he's not a particularly complex dude. Yeah, he's sort of like he's kind of like Nancy, and he's just How he's not. <laughs> no, no, he's right. I'm, I'm with him. He's yeah. not the juxtaposition. Yeah. He's not too <laughs> complex, but it doesn't matter because it's not what you're there for. Mm -hmm. Right. Why are you reading the series you're reading? Yeah, so... Because um, I want to slay demons and find women in chainmail bikinis. You want to be Barbarian. <laughs> so, an okay. example of a currently published, um, the number series, a Janet Ivanovich, uh, the Stephanie Plum series. Mm -hmm. That's an example that is more like the characters are static, but they do change a little bit. For instance, in the course of the Stephanie Plum series, the main character is actually pretty much the same, but there are some changes... Uh, for instance, her sister has gone from being divorced to having a third child and being remarried. Stephanie herself hasn't really changed all that much, but they keep... This is getting a problem, because there are changes, so it's not completely static, so we're wondering, okay, why isn't she and her boyfriend from the first book, you know, mm -hmm. married yet? <laughs> you know? On this topic, and I, I, you may have something, Jennifer, so I'm going to turn this over to you. I'm going to go ask this question, and then I'll mm -hmm. let you go. Is is it dangerous to a writer and, or and as a reader to have a lot of character change between books in a series, or is it better to have it as static? Well, I don't better, know if you're on, on better or worse is hard to determine because every project is its own dragon to slay. You got to wrestle with that lion in the dark, and whatever comes out comes out. The um, I think. Well, the point I was kind of trying to make has kind of escaped me at the moment. <laughs> but uh, the the question was, what's what's better or worse? That's a well, value judgment. That's yeah. that com you know, it's a value judgment, but also it plays into a Hollywoodish idea, which is how do you make a sequel? Do you have it programmed in the first book in the series to be a serial? Or do you have a program to be an individual, you know, a unique book that you then make up something else for them to do in the sequel? If that's the case, then maybe having a character that stays the same, but then goes on another adventure, is better. But we can look at like 
Back to the Future, mm-hmm. they created one movie at the beginning that was supposed to be a standalone film. And it was popular enough that they created two more with the intention of carrying those characters on a story arc over those two movies. I'm glad in the way you said that because I'm going to ask this. As a writer, I'm afraid of this aspect. And as a reader, I do something. As a writer, I want somebody to be able to technically come through any one of my books in a series should they ever get published, and be able to pick that up and enjoy that book and then go out and look for the other ones and not feel lost. Mm. Wherever they picked up, great. But handling that is also difficult. I know as a reader, if there's a book in a series I picked up, I found out afterwards it's a series, then and I'm really in love with it, I will go back and I will try to read a series from the beginning mm-hmm. onward. And sometimes you can't do that. Sometimes those books are out of print. Yeah. Or you just can't find them anymore. That's uh, actually how I came across the Anita Blake series. I I think it was like the third book was available at the library, and I read it, and I was like, I have to know everything. So then I went back to the beginning and kept going. Mm-hmm. Um, those are, uh, what would it, Holly Lyle has a course called How to Write a Series Online. And um, I think that would be the linked standalones, or... Pro- it's probably close sequential. to that, because in general, they make sense. Well, okay, there's two ways, I would say, to do... I think uh, uh, most series, I think it's best if you can understand the book. Hmm. But some, it's like, okay, you're missing a lot, even though if the basic plot makes sense, you're missing a lot if you haven't read the books before it. And others, you're barely missing anything. Hmm. But... Um, there's a difference between linked standalone and sort of like interlinked. So like you're getting the main plot, mm-hmm. but you're not getting the overarching arc because you're not seeing how things are changing or developing from book to book unless you get the entire series. True. Um, one of the things I think that's important to a series is paying attention to the... How do I put this? Paying attention to the universe in the sense of... Yeah not changing something. And, of course, we've talked about having a series Bibles, and that helps. Um, the series, there's various authors out there who write a series, and sometimes you do throwaway lines, or you do a throwaway comment in one book, and then you end up writing something. Okay, perfect example. This did not make it into the um, final version. I was trying to avoid writers, but I'm going to talk about one of my favorite writers, which is Angie Fox. Angie Fox, in one of her first books, if not the first book, talks about her character not liking to fly. In a later book, that character was going to go to, I think, Vegas. Don't hold that to me. Woo! But anyway, she was just going to hop on an airplane. And her beta readers, which are very loyal readers to her, go, oh, wait, 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 wait. Back in this book, you said she doesn't like to fly. (laughs) So Angie had to rewrite that whole aspect. I know of another fantastic author, Rest Her Soul in Peace, um, Anne McCaffrey, would sometimes jump her own Bible as she was writing something. Something would just be out of place. And sometimes I will throw the reader if you've read all the series. One problem for writers, though, that I think readers don't have is that the writers are working on new things all the time, and things, as we read them in their published form are not necessarily how they started out to the writers. So I think a lot of us readers will catch things and we'll be like, wait, no, but but it was that instead. And it's a lot easier for us because we're not working on the project for like a year or three. Yeah, it takes True. 10 years to write a project and it takes 
five hours for someone to read it. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a little bit of an exaggeration. And then reread it. And then reread it. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes and it's hard for authors because conversation is always slower. Yeah, and you have all those previous drafts still living in your head when you're writing it. Yeah, mm. like which draft I. I get the feeling with this for like TV series all the time. It's like, did the writers ever watch the final thing? Yeah. <laughs> you know? I was just thinking uh, from like a writing perspective, as far as like forgetting your Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm kind of working on a series of short stories, but the first one I didn't intend to be like part of a series. Uh, mm-hmm. I just kind of wrote it, and then. Uh, and I started trying to work it into this other world I've been building up. And I discovered as I was trying to like work it in, that world and having the set rules kind of just limits what you're able to do. That can be and a good can, thing. <laughs> it can be a good thing, but it also felt kind of confining in ways, you know, because I couldn't just uh, follow my heart and write things down. And so I can see that being a problem for other authors who are uh, more professional. <laughs> uh that you know they have like they have their passions still and they have their ideas but they're stuck kind of in this series world and it can become more of like a straight jacket than a uh, normal that, jacket I think, uh, <laughs> I think sometimes that that is a risk that a series writer runs into and why I've heard other authors say they don't want to write a series because they are not tied to this exact universe they always have to work in mm-hmm. and write in well, I was just thinking of David Eddings, who, if you look at his books now, um, with the reprints, he gave his wife credit for co-writing, because she was always his co-writer. Uh-huh. But uh, he wrote something like 12 or 15 books that were two separate series, but they were all pretty much... He wrote one series that had an intelligent stone in it, a magical stone that actually had sentience, uh-huh. and then he had another series that it also had an intelligent stone in it. But it was a different world with different things. It's almost like he wrote the book, then he felt like he needed to change something, so he rewrote the series in a different well, universe. That's, uh, that's kind of an inadvertent uh, application of the idea of the same but different. Yeah. You know, everyone has what they like to write, and you got to find a way to continue to write something that feels like your voice without copying yourself too much. And also without uh, diverting too far from the the original piece. Because if you go too far to the side, uh, we were, Kathleen and I were talking about this earlier, and she cited a great example. If she goes to Starbucks and leaves with a fish fillet, she'll be very confused. <laughs> I will. I would, yes. I went in yeah, I think that's, Starbucks. I think that's why yeah. David Eddings started the new series, which I can't think of the second series name, which is all, they're both very good, mm. but one is more young adult, the other is a little bit older. Uh-huh. Um, before I say, ask the question which I'm about to let me say also too sometimes series are written by multiple authors Some, as we talk about Nancy Drew mm-hmm. um, multiple authors using the same pen name in some cases you have Star Trek and Star Wars where you've got different authors clearly their own names underneath their own names but they're in a somewhat, playing in someone else's universe mm-hmm. and you, this happens for David Weber's series as well Honor Harrington but I'm going to use Star Trek and Star Wars if you read the Star Trek novels, there's really not that much connection between them. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter which one you read. It's not canon. It's never going to be canon. And there's no... There's no to very little quality check against the canon yeah. that was written. Star Wars, pre this new movie that's coming out, was very much canon, very much 
kept on track and reviewed from what I'm told when I listened to Kevin J. Anderson talk at Archon a, a few years ago at a science fiction convention in St. Louis, Archon. Um, he talked about how they were very <sighs> QA'd. Uh-huh. You know, make sure it was within the canon that you weren't jumping the shark, basically. So here's a question I have for you if it feeds from that. When, to you as a reader, can you tell that a series is starting to jump the tracks, jump the shark, or is this really time to end it? Well, they could jump a shark. <laughs> in the case of Happy Days, uh-huh. in where the, the phrase comes from is the episode when the cast goes to California and Fonzie wearing a leather jacket and a t-shirt and, and swim trunks decides that he needs to jump a shark with a pair of water skis. That's ridiculous. Yes. That's, well, that's, that's the I'm origin talking. of that phrase because everyone watching it said, I'm done. It's over. <laughs> Happy yeah. Days was never they as have, good after he jumped the shark. They have 100% okay. run out of intelligent ideas. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was going to uh, say that for me, when I think series start going weird mm-hmm. is when they have broken the world or the rules they've established in some way that is not it doesn't make sense with what you've read before and it does not like okay sorry I'm trying to to think of ways to to put this Um, there's a series I love where um, what we knew about the main character to begin with changed I know what you're talking about (laughs) changed like but organically over the books and then suddenly I was reading a different genre Uh and Mm -hmm. that was odd because I love both genres that the series is now I guess in (laughs) I had had signed up for the one and the other one mm, you left with a fish fillet it was fish fillet Mm -hmm. let's make a fictional example it's like when you're watching uh, let's say uh, Agatha Christie let's say you're reading Agatha Christie novel and all of a sudden, vampires show up. Yeah. Or like, you know, <laughs> Miss Marple is suddenly, you know, going to visit, like, going to see the world. You know, she loves her little town. She's not going anywhere. Uh, and that's then suddenly, actually, she wants to go see the world and become like, a trapeze artist. Yeah. Or, she or she shrugs off the burden of this town that she previously loved. Actually, now. she does kind of go visiting, but it's always visiting relatives. So yeah. that's actually not. But, no, no, no. But, it would be like exploring because that's that's. Or how about kind of, Roy, how about Roy no. jumping the shark with Miss Marple? Miss Marple goes from this little old lady who murdered falls in her lap. She's an amateur detective. And suddenly we learn in the latest novel that in her backstory she's an MI6 agent uh-huh. who has this huge background of fighting the Nazis at one time or and something. And she has a pet other. dragon. Right, yeah. <laughs> she knows how to ninja kick people. <laughs> exactly. And she starts ninja kicking people. And you're like, but, but who, well, who but, is but, this? But, yeah. So, and then after... The tone changes entirely, as do what you understand and know about the characters in a way that's not organic to what you've already now, read. Now, the example you're thinking of kind of did, at least it made sense the way they did that, but yeah. <laughs> in, television sort of. seri- that's right. in television series, I think you run into this huge problem a lot with changing of authors, talking about from a ton- tonal point of view. Um, sometimes series will kill, or not kill off, but they will fire or get rid of their original writers and bring in someone new who may or may not have seen the series, seen what's going on, and anytime you get a couple different people, creative people together, you're going to change it. There's no author that doesn't want to change 
something in someone else's work if they started hired to work on it. I'm going to, I'm going to mention a series that really went down the tubes when it happened was Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda. Mm. The sci-fi series, first two seasons, I maybe three. I What was the premise? Okay, first two or three series seasons I think were okay and then it jumped the shark. And what it was was Kevin Serbo played a, yes. basically, <laughs> it, this was a takeoff on another idea that Gene Roddenberry had. Kevin Serbo played a Captain Kirk to a ba- to a certain, certain degree. The Federation and this um, Empire is close enough to the, close enough to call it the same. But what happens is is that the Fed, this I'm going to use Star Trek terms. This makes this easy. Go Federation ahead. is betrayed by the Superman. There's actually an in, Homo Invictus subrace of humanity. Is it an eighth uh, man or whatever? No, mm-hmm. it's it's a it's Basically, Nietzscheans. They're Nietzscheans. They are genetically created to be supermen. Mm. And their philosophy is Ayn Rand, Nietzsche, Mao Tzu, or Sun Tzu, and all this other stuff. And they are really, they are in all intents. Can I just simplify this for you? Yeah, yeah, let me, uh, I'm sorry. Anyway, I got asked that question. I went off on tangent. I'm sorry. But anyway, so they get betrayed. He ends up being on the edge of a black hole. Several hundred years pass. He gets pulled out of the black hole area, and now his federation has fallen, and he's determined to re- rebuild it. Well, for the first three seasons, these characters are all working in such and such a way, but then that's those, a lot of those writers are fired, and it becomes the Kevin Sorbo show instead of the, the show, show, it show, show it was. And searching characters in it? Start Left. behaving crazy, so they could be. I mean, they their characters just so do not behave as their characters would behave. Right. It mm-hmm. made no sense. Right. <laughs> so, what was it that um, you have a, a reviewer Jennifer that you like watching on YouTube who goes over series and movies? What was it he said about the second season of? Um, oh, you're talking about uh, yourmoviesucks.org. Yes. Which is uh, it's. It's good deconstructive criticism yeah. for the most part, with a lot of swearing, <laughs> and sometimes he throws up on himself. Oh my! But uh, his his name is Adam, and yes, um, he doesn't actually really projectile vomit on himself. Just tell me it's a joke. Yes, he does. So, so okay, people who have that Read phobia beware is why I bring it up. But <laughs> about the crazy characters, please explain. What specifically? All of season two. Oh, of The Walking what? Dead? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, there was... The, and, uh, the Walking Dead is an interesting case because... For at, someone between, that doesn't know, would you please describe what The Walking Dead is? Zombie Apocalypse. The Zombie Apocalypse, based on a comic book. It's pretty straightforward, yeah. It's produced by, uh, by AMC. Uh, but between seasons one and two, they had a pretty much an entire staff switch. You know, they replaced the director, the writing staff... Uh, pretty much everyone, the people who remained were the actors. And the characters that were put forward by Frank Darabont um, were then dramatically altered to suit the new plot and the new writing staff. People didn't really know what to do with these guys because they didn't have the previous vision of where they were headed. Instead, they took the meat they had and then they just kind of, kind of, beat it to a pulp until it could fit into the mold they wanted it to. Ladies I'm trying, I'm trying. issues, apparently. Yeah. 
I'm sorry, I'm holding back from laughter at some. It's of the so puns. convenient to have female characters, and kids. they can be irrational for no reason. And kids, how convenient to have children in your script. They can be an. They don't need justification. They're just a kid. Put that's that woman a, away. She's hysterical. Yeah, that's clearly. that's your movie sucks. dot org. Very good points that they she made. Must be that on her period. The the main characters behave in in completely illogical ways, specifically to do the business of the plot. They yeah. break the characters or the world, the rules. And I can't think of who said this, but this goes towards. I don't care if it's a single book, single story, movie, television series, book series, whatever. Don't. Treat your reader as less intelligent than you, mm-hmm. and because there are ramifications that you will not enjoy. Uh, but actually, I was thinking about a uh, like when series run dry for you. Mm-hmm. As uh, I was actually thinking about Harry Potter, and like I feel like the last book is kind of where it ran dry for me, just because I, I felt like she was getting to her limit of her ability to like. Uh, hold her world in her mind and bring things to a conclusion so it ended up being kind of just a letdown really it was like it wasn't as uh, well put together as I thought it should have been and I, to be honest with you I'm going to go with you next I want to say something that feeds right to this um, I think that's a fantastic part of when a, when a series runs dry is when you're ending the series have that be the ending um, if you're going to have it anywhere and Another author, Charlene Harris, who has written the Suki Stackhouse series. True Blood TV True show. True Blood TV show based on it. Um, she was asked at 2011's BoucherCon, and I'm sure she was asked at other ones as well, but at BoucherCon, why she was ending the series. And this woman is a very experienced author, and she realized it, she knows her stuff, and she said very simply, the characters have nothing more to say. When your characters, when the characters have nothing more to say, I think, is when you should end the series. Otherwise, it's going to go stale. It's going to go old. It's going to jump go, sharks. It's going to jump sharks and run dry. That was a question I had about um, series authors, basically, being kind of not not pigeonholed, I guess, in mm-hmm. a sense by their readers they are. But like, at what point do you turn to the publisher and say, "Really, no, I'm done. I am. The characters have spoken." And uh, I want to write other things. And what do you do when your fans try and kill you? Cough, cough. George R. R. Martin fans, be nice. Yeah. <laughs> and along with that, I think there's also another subcategory question. I want, I want your question answered. I'm going to put on a subcategory I'd like to also answer. Is there also a time in which, I know a lot of times the serious stuff that you're talking about, the publishers and the editors are wanting you to continue this series because, hey, it's selling. Mm-hmm. It's selling, it's selling, it's selling, and you feel like it's time time to go on. But let me reverse that. What about the authors that continue to write a series, even though the editors are publishing saying, hey, you know, your sales are dropping off, your fans are feeling a little tired of this. Is there also a psychological aspect to the reader, or to the writer, that is, I don't think I can write anything but this one. I've kind of caught myself into this pigeonhole. Uh, I think both of these questions come back to the same thing, which is... Uh the idea and kind of just knowing as an author like every story starts off as just an idea and then as a writer you have to you need to like kind of explore how far it's going to go so if you have an idea and you think like okay i'll probably need three books to cover it then you need three books to cover it 
And if it's going to be a standalone thing, you go, well, you know, I mean, like, ten pages. And I can get the idea out. And then you do ten pages. The hard thing is just staying steady and strong through that, through all the pressure of other people, whether they be readers or editors or publishers who all want different things from you. You have to be able to keep out uh, their influence and what they want and just know in your heart what your story needs. Perfect example of that is Avatar The Last Airbender TV series. Um, I think they went into it saying there are going to be three books, three seasons, and um, the series was wildly popular. But it was wildly popular because they stuck to their guns and they kept the series progressing in the way that they had originally planned. And then, to piggyback off that same thing, uh, when they were asked or some would say maybe forced to go back and make more because it was such a popular show, they created a new, uh, something else in the same world, a a sequential storyline, completely separate from the previous storyline, except for Descendants and whatever, um, in The Legend of Korra. And Korra was supposed to be a very short series. It was supposed to be, like, the equivalent of, like, a miniseries. And that was so popular that they then went back to the writing table and kind of forced out a whole bunch of new episodes and turned that into a long series. So, like, the same thing happened in the same property. The We have our plan. We know exactly what's going to happen for all three of these seasons. We know that after season one ends, we're going to be here. After season two ends, we're going to be here. And after season three ends, we're going to end it. And then the other one, that was plotting. Then Korra is pantsing. Where they started with a concept, they finished their idea, and then they moved on to another one. And then now they're moving on to another one because season three is coming out. And I'm not saying that Korra is bad. I'm saying it's got less of a, of a strong skeleton than its predecessor series had. So um, I think we should talk a bit about series loves. Like the reasons that you like series or why you would pick one up specifically. Because for The Last Airbender... The, the bending, the... the um, Magic? Yeah, the magic with um, martial arts is amazing. But what I'm there for, all the way through all the seasons, is the characters and their growth and development. So when you take that away, the series is not as compelling to me. What about you guys for reading? I like growth and development. In fact, I... In general, I do standalone books that the characters don't change or don't change much, but I like it when the characters change. And for instance, one of my favorite series, um, Lois and the Master Bourgeois, her characters age. She doesn't write them in chronological order, so she can go back and fill in holes and backstories, but her characters actually age. Uh, her main character in one of her series is Miles Vercosican, and in the first book, he's 17. Mm-hmm. Now he's knocking on 40. So he's actually grown up. He's gone from, you know, a newly minted officer to now he has a completely different job and is married and has four or five kids. No, I meant, I've lost track. Four or five kids. Anyway. It may change. (laughs) Yes, but again, it it tracks and kids grow older and, you know. (laughs) Lessons mean something. Yeah. And there are consequences and people die and they stay dead. Uh (laughs) That's something I think, uh, series on TV that I especially love do really well. They have the consequences. Um, for the record, I love um, police procedurals mixed with um, fantasy. So 
bunch of those series. <laughs> oh, I love Grimm. Um, and Almost Human, which is sci-fi, and they canceled. Oh my yes, gosh. Yes, I know. Oh, and like it canceled, huh? Yeah. yeah. I, can't say I'm I was surprised. so mad. So it's mad. like, it's sci-fi. It was never going to. Yeah. Well, not if you don't give it a chance. Oh my gosh. Well, that's anyway. uh <laughs> sorry. Heartbroken. Done. Yeah. That's a case of the audience dictating what it is put before them. You know, people, human beings as creatures like to have the same thing over and over again. They enjoy Applebee's even though Applebee's is not as good as other restaurants they can go to because they go they know what they get there. They know what they want to get so they go get it and they're happy. And they never leave unhappy because they got exactly what they expected. And when they had a police procedural, which is very popular on television right now with tons of different police procedural series, uh-huh. and they threw in this sci-fi aspect, uh, then the it wasn't as popular as going back to another CSI, for example, because that wasn't what people wanted to see. They wanted to see the police procedural, so they watched the police procedurals, and they didn't take a chance on the new thing. Cough, cough, firefly. Well, yeah. Yeah. We all know that Firefly hurts. Did you have to poke that wound? Oh, yes, yes I did. Mm. And, well, I'm it was, sorry, it wasn't Almost Human also on the same network huh. as Firefly? But anyway, I'm not going to poke that wound <laughs> Could any further. Could just be a poorer business decisions I think some it level. was a lot of that going on behind the scenes. Yes. Um, well, it's, you know, it's, well, it's still... But they put them on to begin with. Yes, exactly. Oh, okay, sorry. So, um... Yeah, Back to the series. Yeah, series, um... One very I, good television series. I'm sorry. No, sci-fi. Go on, go on. Sci-fi, since we were on sci-fi series. One very well-written series. And this, I'm going to bring this up this way as something why I like series. Good ones. Babylon 5. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of the shows were low campy. But for the most part, it, it ran for five seasons. It was going to end in four seasons. The, the station was canceling it, and another station picked it up for the fifth season. There were things in the fourth and fifth season that tied back to the pilot mm-hmm. or to the first season. And there were things that were foreshadowed that if you go back and watch the season from, series from beginning to the end that were foreshadowed that you don't see again until fourth or fifth season. Yeah, I believe was there was an episode in, epi- in season one, and I think there was another episode in uh, season... It was either, I think it was season four. If you watch them back to back, because the episode involved time travel... Uh-huh. And people from season four traveled back to season one, and you saw it from the perspective of season one, then you saw it from the perspective of season four, and if you watch them back to back, they make very few mistakes. The war of it never ends. That's yeah. the, I think that's the name of it. Or war so without end. Care yeah. was put into not breaking the world. Very much so. The executive producer wrote half of it. Yeah, over, <laughs> yeah. well, well over half the stories. Yeah. Um, I do want to get into like series kinks though. Yeah. Series Kings. Okay, go for it. Yeah. You keep trying. You keep trying I so know. hard. Okay, here, here's one. Mm-hmm. Certain characters are immortal. They can't die. No matter how dangerous they are, you know that this you character... You love that? No. I don't love it necessarily. It depends on how it's used. That's one of the things I liked about Babylon 5. Anyone could die at any time. Middle of the season, you can kill off a title character. Sure. That can happen in Babylon 5. It doesn't happen often, but it can happen. So there's mm-hmm. actually some real suspense. Star Trek... I know Riker is never going to die. You know. Another series that did that. Protects them. <laughs> it is the power of the of beard shield. Now, <laughs> another series that eventually jumped the shark, but um, it was like that was M, what we call in America MI5. What was called in Britain was Spooks, and it ran for ten seasons. 
the very first show, everybody's like, okay, yeah, this is going to be like I expect every other spy series. Second show, won't tell you this, why, why this happens, but two characters who are undercover, male, female, they're breaking a um, white supremacy group. They get caught. The bad guy grabs the white, I'm sorry, grabs the female character interrogating the male and puts her face into a, into a fry fryer. Yeah. yeah, and the entire, the entire audience is going, oh, oh my god, and that set the rules for the entire series of anybody can die at any time, you can be in love with this character, and, it's, and it happened in the series throughout, you can be in love with this character, but that but the sense now of the danger to the characters mm-hmm. became real. You didn't really know. That is one advantage I like about series in books, in general. In series, sometimes who comes back and who doesn't is determined by what the actors want to do. Mm-hmm. In books, if an author wants a character to stay there, they just keep writing them. Or, you know, wants a character to die, they just kill them. Right. <laughs> well, sometimes there's too much whatever. But the point is, characters are in more real jeopardy in books in general than in TV series. They're more allowed to go along the plot lines that the author wants in an organic way. Right, but if you're writing, if you're reading a series that's Mm -hmm. first person, Mm -hmm. the character, your point of view character is pretty much immortal. You know that no matter how much danger your point of view character is in, your point of view character is almost, almost never going to die. Which is why I stopped writing first person. (laughs) Yeah. Now, I even had a book where the first person character did die, and they had a guest first person that jumped over to her husband until she was brought back to life. It was the type of book that that made sense, but they were kind of making a joke on that. That's a bit awkward. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's a... Well, it's also... I think there should be note for consequences that aren't death, which I like. Yeah. Which is uh, things like maiming, crippling, uh, psychological torture. That especially. These things are actually, I think, uh, worse than death in some ways. Mm -hmm. Because you got to live with them? Yeah, and then you have to see the character continue to suffer for however Uh much longer. The new uh, Battlestar Galactica actually did that. Someone was hurt... And then a few episodes later, they still had a limp. Mm-hmm. Like, that's great. They actually kept track of that stuff. Yeah, good thinking. <laughs> they showed, I know which character told me, that was Starbuck. Yeah. And they even showed her re- rehabilitating the leg and all that. Mm-hmm. When, that's, and that's in a good series, I think. And we can't talk about Battlestar. Be it with a television series, be it with a book series, or a movie series. When no, nothing that happens in the series should not go without consequences. Yeah, those consequences should be seen. You talked about Star Trek: Next Generation. O'Brien. I'm going to talk about Picard when he was tortured by the Cardassians. Not, not even mentioned the Borg. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, this happened, and now the next one. Hey, I'm ready to go off and do whatever. Uh huh. There wasn't that much consequences. I think that goes back to the rules you set initially, like in the first book, first mm-hmm. episode, first movie, whatever, first comic of your series. Like, you establish whether or not people are going to die who you love, who you expect initially to see every book. Game you, of Thrones. You just, yeah. People can die. <laughs> you, uh, you find out um, how big the world is. You find out whether um, things have consequences that will stick that will stay beyond that book or movie or whatever and go into the next one and be dealt with. And uh, something like um, the Boxcar Children. <laughs> no consequences. Yeah, it's a, it's a series for kids. It's not meant to traumatize them. So certain things that happen in one book should not necessarily 
go affecting the others. Uh, I I disagree with the boxcar children's choices there, but uh, well, okay. I like that Nancy kind of thing Drew too, though. Yeah. yeah, Nancy Drew. If she dies in one book, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Nancy Drew's not going to die. No, but let's um, say she gets shot the in the leg. Book? Okay, if she gets shot in the leg, she is still fine the next book, and there is not a scar because it never happened. Yeah, if, uh, in, in Children's Fair, if you put a bandage on their head, they'll be fine in the morning. It doesn't matter what happened to them. They Kids drown, bones. put a bandage on their head, and they'll be fine in the morning. Rub some dust in the You can make down. a wonderful, like, kind of inversion of that, where you have, like, horrible, like, you know, limb chopped off and, like, terrible sucking wounds. Uh-huh. And then they put a band-aid over and it's fine the next day. Is, yep. this, this, is this another book in the not for books that you guys series? are writing, Patrick the that Spider? That could be a psychological child. Patrick has received already, in the, image, in the pages that I have drawn, Patrick has already received deep, physical, scarring wounds that will not be present in the next book. I'm <laughs> So, I mean, I like I like serial things like that though, where there's uh, where you like the big red reset button, the Applebee's. Uh huh. I I kind of enjoy there's a time that. and a place for Applebee's. I'm not gonna say I don't like one of my favorite things. Well, in metaphor, there's no yeah. actual time and place for Applebee's. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh my god. Only on trivia night, and only if they're giving you half price appetizers. Wow. <laughs> um. So yeah, I hope no one so, at Applebee's is listening to you guys. Oh my, my god! My mom likes Applebee's. Particularly, much of America loves Applebee's. Yeah, but that's yeah. I'm using Applebee's as a metaphor here. We all know this. Um, my my series kink I was going to bring up was it's very much also my book kink and my writing kink in that I love to write characters and I love to write interpersonal relationships. So when I'm reading a series. Now, I wrote, I read so many Boxcar Children books as a child. They're still in a huge cereal box in my basement. Uh, one of those twofers that was square and fit books perfect, and it was like Legos. But I had, mo- you know, a huge chunk of them. And I read those I, just voraciously. But I, would that hold my interest nowadays? Maybe not. Nowadays, I come back to a series because I love the characters in them, and I want to see their relationships grow. Specifically, when you introduce two characters that have such a, a strong a familial relationship that you know that they would take a bullet for each other, that's what's going to keep me reading because I want to see them worry about each other all the time because that makes me sick and happy inside. <laughs> I was going to say, now, and I'm like, yeah, I like to see the characters develop. I, I want the characters to come back and all that. But I think another thing that's, that will draw in a series, depending on what you're reading is the universe the series is taking yeah. place in. Mm-hmm. And the universe is a character in and of itself, in my opinion. And sometimes people just want to read a book because book in a series because they want to relive being in that universe. Uh-huh. I yeah. read fan fiction for that. Yeah, yeah. I, I really <clears throat> like the universe. And the characters, especially the secondary or the bit characters, are part, in my opinion, of that universe. And that's, yeah. That's what you miss by reading, I think, a series book out of order. You can get the main plot, but the universe is what you get more of from When the it universe all. is the strength in the series, that's when you can write a book a, a book series like the uh, Sharon Shin or Discworld. Mm-hmm. Those kind of things. Uh, you're writing for the world, so you can take the story to different portions of that world yeah. and tell stories mm-hmm. about different characters within that world, but the 
fact that it's in the same universe keeps the tone consistent and makes it into a series. But yeah. would Can Terry we? Brooks's Shannara series fall into that quote category? I don't know much about uh, it. It's been a while since so. I've read it. It's been a long time since I've read it, but I think so. Okay. Okay. It's been a long time. Jen, ago. you mentioned I tone. Shannara, but tone. I would really like to talk about the Alien movie series because oh, I think I it's a perfect illustration. Actually, yes, I, I want to, I, to do I'm that. I'm such <laughs> a gusher for the Alien franchise. If you can't tell by just the voice alone, Jen's face just lit up all kinds of like, oh, I was just giving us a, giving a surprise look, birthday gift. She I looks like know. a fairy tale princess right now. You can see her expression. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, Alien. What? What were you wanting to bring up? You, you tone, started tone. this. You opened this can of worms. <laughs> can of awesome. Okay, so I love the character development in Alien. Two Aliens, the sequel. The third movie is... It broke all the things. And it's generally considered that way by a majority of the fan base as well. And why would that be? Well, it's because the the Alien franchise, both to its benefit and its detriment, each movie is tackled by uh, a different director. So the the different directors can take and leave what the previous director presented them with at their own discretion. So the first movie was shot in in order to be a horror film, a suspense film in space. And that was that was you know, a brand new idea, and it was very popular. Premise? Premise? Explain. Uh, they're truckers. They're truckers in space, and a monster attacks, and they have I to find a way. I thought they were miners. No, they're truckers. Okay. They're truckers. Uh, a monster attacks, and they have to find a way to save themselves, or their ship, or just themselves, from this monster that picks them off one by one. And they don't have the equipment necessary to defend themselves because they aren't a warship. They're a bunch of truckers being paid for a shipment. And the character we're following, for the most part? Ripley. Ripley is a fantastic character. And she's generally consistent until the third one, like you mentioned. In the third one, they take some jumps with her to turn her into something else. And that sort of breaks it. Since she's the spine that holds all these different plots together. There's the alien... After the first movie, when we find out what the alien is capable of, he's not as scary anymore. Which brings us to the second film. James Cameron decides that he's going to turn the alien franchise instead from, you know, into uh, an action movie. It's more of a monster versus heavily armed squad of uh, mercenary soldiers, and they mow down the aliens with their chain guns like crazy because the tone they were setting there is more of action adventure and less suspense and and fear. And for that reason, lots of people like the first movie better than the second one. I particularly like the second movie better than the first one because I like a lighthearted tone. And while there was a lot at stake, and there was quite a bit of blood and death and pain in that movie, I knew, because the tone had said, that it was going to be an adventure. And that we were going to find a way to survive. And it wasn't going to end with, you know, everyone face down dead. Which was kind of what the third movie had. So, I'm sorry, sarcastic comment real fast. Lighthearted, lots of blood, guts, and death. Okay, moving on. Um, I was going to say that I like how they bridged the first Alien film with the second. Mm-hmm. I feel like they made a transition that worked, that was believable. Why would this woman, who has survived these insanely terrifying, deadly creatures, ever go back anywhere near them? They give her a reason. Yes. That's, and, that's credit to James Cameron. Mm-hmm. Thinking and then, inside the sandbox that he had to play in. And then Ripley also in the first film, she was not a big fan of violence, right? No, she didn't. Well, Sigourney Weaver hated guns. 
specifically. And it took a little bit of bribing to get her to hold a gun for the second movie. But her, they used that in her character in the second movie. It wasn't just for herself. She went into the belly of the beast, so to speak, kind of. Yeah. Um, that was in the fourth To protect movie. someone else. <laughs> yeah. So, like, her protective instincts are kind of what drove her to go back in the first place. And they drove her to do things that she did not think she, as a person, would ever do. And I think that worked brilliantly. And then the third movie happened. <laughs> Well, in the, I think in the uh, third and perhaps fourth especially, <laughs> the problem was that uh, James Cameron, like, he submitted to the box that he had. He mm-hmm. was like, okay, this is what's been established. I'm just going to work with what I've got. And I would really love to do this, but I just can't because it doesn't make sense. I think uh, maybe the third and fourth directors didn't have that instinct. David Fincher wanted to make something closer to Ridley Scott's original first movie. He wanted to create something that made the alien scary again. But in order to do that, he had to take all of the comforting elements that James Cameron set up. He, James Cameron's movie was very family-themed. And the third one, well, it was. In the I'm end, we had our nuclear one. family here. Yeah. Who were all alive in the ship, thank you. Spoiler Sorry, alert. Sorry, Jennifer was, was responding to a facial expression I was making. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Uh, in the third movie, David Fincher wanted to create something that was scary. He wanted one alien prowling in this place, and he created a large cast of other characters to be picked up one by one. And Ripley put her in a place where she didn't quite feel like the Ripley that we left in the second one, and he kind of ignored the... I'm not going to say ignored. He did incorporate it. He acknowledged the fact that she had a mother bond with Newt. He acknowledged it, but it wasn't where he wanted to go. He didn't want her to have a mother bond. He wanted her to be this strong woman who was in, terrified from the situation she was in. They kind of kind of shoved her into a box that the audience wasn't expecting to find her in. What I disliked about just the beginning is that it did not transition well. Um, yeah, everyone's had, dead at the beginning. Yeah, they yeah, just murder like, everybody outright oh, off camera. I didn't like them. I don't want to use them off dead. Yeah, really? That's what it it was. contradicted things. Uh-huh. And I just got rid of them because I didn't want them in the story. Yeah. And he, he kind of invented a, uh, a a plot convenience in order to create the conflict. The conflict of the third one is that she, Ripley herself now has an alien growing inside her, which was her chief fear in the second movie. In the third movie, she lives with it pretty well, which is strange. But how did she get impregnated by a face hugger? Well, there just happened to be a queen face hugger on the ship when they left. Just happened to. And it just happened to survive them leaving. It just happened to be wandering around and sneak into her pod and impregnate her. Well, and then it was, everyone else. And then it was just lucky that she survived and landed in a place where it could, you know, then roam free and possibly be cre- you know, create a new space. You know, brood yeah. of these monsters. I feel like it would be a good movie had it not been part of that series. It's a, it's a good. There are different. Point. When you're part of a series, when a book is part of a series, a film is part of a series, the Marvel universe, Marvel Cinematic Universe, part of a series. Like, you have to stick to the rules you've created, and um, I think the Marvel Cinematic Universe is doing that pretty well. Mm-hmm. And comic books, on the whole, like. So much changes. I you love just, the. You just wait until the movies, their whole mo- movie system gets further along, and then the madness will be exposed to everyone. Be great fun. Um, this applies to another franchise that I love dearly, uh, 
the Silent Hill franchise, which is a video game franchise. I'm not talking about the movies. Uh, the video game franchise, it happens often where you say it was a pretty good game, but not a good Silent Hill game. Because all these different game runners are creating something with the same label on it so they could get the repeat gamer attention. Because gamers who liked the first Silent Hill are like another Silent Hill game, as opposed to if they put out the Silent Hill game and called it uh, Quiet Valley... <laughs> they wouldn't pick it up because they don't know anything about Quiet Valley, but they know a lot about Silent Hill. So Isn't that an animal farm game? <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like um, a brand recognition, the, the desire for brand recognition... Mm. Guys in suits. ...then um, mm-hmm. complicates one's uh, mm-hmm. affection for a series when mm-hmm. that brand recognition does not fit the actual series that they're trying to it's, say. This it's, is it's a mild betrayal. Yeah, it's it's a I real like shame that. when you have to create a qualifier for something that you love. Well, and mm-hmm. think also too that's why some authors will write under pen names. Yes, mm-hmm. to get away from it. like I mentioned Earl Stanley Gardner before he wrote also under A. A. Fair and some other pen names. And if you look at the different books, each pen name has its own different expectation mm-hmm. of writers. Charles Dolan does that. Okay, and actually, uh, the romance writer of. of Nora Roberts does that and she actually does that to keep from betraying her audience if she's writing something slightly different she uses a pen name and publishes as Nora Roberts writing as mm-hmm. and then whoever it is uh-huh. one one genre we haven't jumped into we have talked about television so in a way we've touched on it but really not and that is the forever long running soap opera oh. I was thinking or about soap opera like styles yeah or erotica and that comes back to guys in suits, I think, where they like, you know, if you, it's like Happy Days. You have like a, uh, you have something that works, and like there's an executive somewhere who's like, it prints money. Let's just keep doing it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> applesauce. Whatever you saw them last. Yeah, time, you yes. called them applesauce. Mm. The applesauce farmers. The applesauce guys are like, let's just keep doing it, and the writers like, you know, they want to get paid because they never get paid. So yeah, mm-hmm. you just keep they just keep pounding it out until all the ideas are gone, and then it dies an ugly death. <laughs> rather than having well, they just a, they just bring back characters and it, all that stuff. Yeah, and look at different plot lines. But that's also one which they are very reliant on some type of back Bible that's in the background to know what's going on because a lot of times that's going from straight from being written to being pr- um, filmed, produced, and out. Um, I wanted to point out there's a difference between the soap opera setup where like things happen that should never happen <laughs> and yeah. could not happen and in you any wonder's like okay universe. You're wondering, okay, is it hope? Is it not hope? You know, there's this thing called genetic testing. Hope's genetic son is there. Why don't you see if that's her, his mother? <laughs> because we're in a soap. Yeah, yes, no, doesn't need like, to do that. I feel like there's a difference between that and um, a type of series that I see a lot in. Uh, Gay erotica, where the series goes on and on. It starts with one premise, and then by like book twenty-five, everyone is gay and has the same character. <laughs> like their characters all become this—they become the same person because th- this book is not about them. So oh. they're dealt with. They're happy and in love. They're they're relegated to like in chapter books, the mates or like the group, the wolves, whatever. So it's a zombie story. I oh my goodness! I wish if they were zombies, at least there would be some chomping and consequences. It's there's not, <laughs> there's not. It hurts me, precious. It does. <laughs> okay, we've only got a couple moments here left before in this episode. Is there any final thoughts on what makes the series good or bad? I I would actually like to just point out that I waited 
until just then to to do that rant because I needed to keep it short. I appreciate that. You're welcome, everyone. <laughs> a good series, I'm going to say a soap opera series to watch, if you can get your hands on the DVDs, is the old um, Dark Shadows. Hmm. I don't mean Johnny Depp. So the one Johnny Depp watched as a kid. Um, and you can see a lot of the frustrations and, and eventually, shall we call it, reliance on tropes. Tropes. To get the story tropes going. Tropes and archetypes. Yep. I actually think that's uh that would be my capstone is a uh, keep it short for series. That's uh, a necessarily. I think so. You, you need to write until you run out of ideas and then stop. Uh, you should write uh, until just before you run out of ideas. Don't overestimate your own strength. <laughs> so write the story and the world and characters that you set out to write, and then when they are done, stop and don't listen to other people who want you to continue if it's bad for them. Go ahead. Yes. My my closing is when you're approaching a series, do so with integrity. Yeah. When it turns from telling a story into running a business, then it's time to reevaluate. And you have every right as a creator, if you want to continue eating food, to milk that cash cow as long as you can, but just keep in mind that you're doing it to the at the detriment of your craft. One thing that I had mentioned before, I'm going, to, I'm going to quote her again, Charlene Harris, author of The Sookie Stackhouse, which became True Blood's uh, television series, said that she stopped writing that series because the characters had nothing more to say. If your characters don't have anything more to say, then move on. Your readers definitely will. <laughs> yes. And on that, thank you everybody for listening to Right Pack Radio, and tune in next week. You can find us also on Facebook, Twitter, and, of course, Blog Talk Radio. Uh, and now we have nothing more to say. Theme songs for Right Pack Radio were written and performed by Meredith Tate. All copyrights remain with her. Right Pack Radio would like to thank STL Books for allowing us to record in their office. STL Books is an online bookstore specializing in new and used high-quality literature children's books, and books written by or about St. Louis. Please visit them online at www.stlbooks.com or find their store on the Amazon.com website.